Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Drew Sturette, who is the co-founder and CEO of Lex. Lex is a commercial real estate securities marketplace for all investors and real estate owners. And with Lex, you can diversify into commercial real estate properties with the potential to earn passive income and build wealth $100 at a time. It's an innovative, game-changing company that Drew is building. Over the last few years, he's grown this thing, and it's such an exciting and, and interesting story. And in this episode, we dive into how it got started in the first place, how Drew has built his team and grown this company, the challenges along the way, but also the good, the ups, the ups as well as the downs with building Lex. We go into all the details and more in this episode. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast and Without further ado, here is Drew Sturette, the co-founder and CEO of Lex. Drew, welcome to the show. Justin, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. Great to have you on. And obviously, we're going to go into in depth all different things about Lex. And where I want to get started, with people who aren't familiar, what is Lex and how did it get started in the first place here, Drew? That's a really great question. Uh, Lex is the first commercial real estate securities market, providing liquidity to both institutional commercial real estate owners and also both retail, private wealth, RAs, wealth advisors, and the entire spectrum of the investment community, uh, liquid product in an asset class that otherwise they never had access to. Right. And how did this get started in the first place? So the origin story, I find a funny one, is (laughs) I was working at a private equity shop. It was after midnight. Uh, my brother gave me a call. He was at the gym and we were talking about investing a part of our personal portfolio into real estate. Our only available option were public REITs, uh, which I could talk about for an hour about the differences <laughs> of direct investment in public REITs. But we were trying to figure out how, since we have the oldest and largest asset class in the world and one of the largest wealth creators, how there was no public and liquid market where sort of you have transparency, liquidity, and access really across the entire investment spectrum. Since we personally didn't have the ability to write a multi-million dollar check to participate in the deals that I was currently structuring. And it was really personal desire and questioning that led to the creation of Lex. With that too, then, Drew, why why wasn't this a thing? Why did this not exist before? So a few reasons. One, it's difficult to create a brand new uh, not only asset class and security, but also a market that can support electronic trading and sort of integrate with the financial infrastructure that's already been in place. But also commercial real estate is a slow moving beast. And it's been a very closed system where you sort of know a guy who knows a guy and there hasn't been a great incentive for change. So we had to figure out how to provide a value add product both to real estate sponsors and issuers and to the customer base at large, which are investors, which range from non-accredited investors all the way up to institutional. With that, Drew, then looking at this, something that's never been done before, you're going to take on this problem. Early on, when you first decide, okay, let's actually attack this, what are some of the kind of the first things you were thinking about or the first things you did to make this a reality? Uh, it took a lot of research, a lot of hard work. Um, I had to learn both sides of the market and really it was coming from dialogue with both customer segments and then also becoming, I wouldn't say 
quite an expert, but very well versed in the different touch points along the way to creating Lex and to creating a brand new securities market. And so it was really by education for all aspects of the business and the customer basis to really create a product that worked for everyone. And with that, then understanding that to create this product, there's a lot of hoops to jump through, a lot of people to talk to. Where in this in this whole piece did the the fundraising side of it come into play where you're actually ready to start kind of raising funds and building this this out? It took a while. It took a lot of education first, since we didn't want to raise capital based on just an idea. We wanted a fundamental business plan that we knew we could execute on. And so it actually took about a year and a half of sort of figuring out how all the pieces come together, how we were structuring it, building out brokerage platforms, building out sort of the infrastructure to make it all come together before we went to raise capital, since we wanted to make sure we were as well prepared and had created a product that would have market adoption before we went to raise capital. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into the whole raising capital side of things as well, but take me through that year and a half then. Were you still still working a day job, doing this on nights and weekends? Like, What was that? What did that look like for you then? I think, so at first it started as a pet project where I was just trying to educate myself. And after I felt like I had a decent business plan and trajectory on how to accomplish what we were looking to accomplish, that is when I pulled the trigger and left my job to go pursue this full time. So it was more playing on the sides um, in the evenings, just researching, uh, learning securities law, learning tax law, learning all parts of business, which I never thought I would get into personally, since I am not an attorney <laughs> and do not represent myself as one. But it's, it's really having a fundamental base in all of the different parts that build the entire product from start to finish that I then sort of pulled the trigger and left my job to go pursue this full time. And I do think it is hard to do two things at once. It is good to give it your all and give it 120% into the endeavor that you're trying to do, especially in startups. Since if you don't give it your all, one or two things will happen. You may be successful, but at the end of the day, if it's not, you're going to have regrets about not putting everything you possibly can into it because you want to have a successful product and a successful story that does well by everyone. And in that process of getting to actually quitting your job, was there one particular day or something that, that happened? I know you said, you know, you're trying to get the business plan built out, but so many people who are starting companies, whether they're, you know, starting bootstrap and uh, deciding on when that moment is, how did you get to that particular moment of, okay, yeah, today's the day I'm done. Let's do this. I think it was one of those light bulb moments where you're just sitting and then something clicks where you're like, okay, I'm ready to take the jump and take the leap since there is a bunch of uncertainty, but it was sort of, it wasn't one instant exactly. It was more just a moment in time where everything seemed to align in my head saying, okay, I think I'm ready to pursue this full time. Gotcha. And then going back into the fundraising side of this, once you've you know spent maybe a year and a half of really doing a lot of education, a lot of research into this, understanding the problem a bit more with the fundraising, was this the first time you had had to raise funds for a company? Yes. Uh, well, for my own company, yes, I've worked on raising uh, capital for sort of private equity deals and everything else, but this was the first time raising money for a company that I had co-founded. 
Gotcha. And with that, then what was your uh, approach to that? Did you have particular people you were going to be, you were going to be looking at in terms of uh, VCs or investors for the company? Like, how did you go through that process? It was absolutely targeting people who, well, in venture capital financing, they're effectively, in my mind, two different types of investors. You have leads and then you have sort of LP followers. And it's good to identify who does lead and who has participated in the space, has an interest in the space and is a good name to have as a backing and can sort of by looking at portfolios you can sort of understand who has the same similar vision um, even if it's in a tertiary market that doesn't exactly have to do with your business but it was through that identification and also it was a learning process as well uh, from start to finish even when we first went out to race since you're always learning you never stop learning yeah yeah, there's so much to it with fundraising as well. How long did that end up taking to raise your first round? Uh, six months from start to finish, approximately. And and with that too, in those six months, I, I'm always curious to this because I had someone else on the show, uh, Zuleika Strassner from Zero, who did 263 meetings to get her first uh, half a million dollars. How did that process go for you with, with fundraising, meetings taking? I just want to have a little picture of that as well for people. Oh, I probably, I, I didn't actually keep track of all of them. Otherwise it might make you slightly depressed. Um, but <laughs> I, probably anywhere between 50 to 100. And were you, I know you mentioned you're targeting specific ones kind of uh, obviously for, uh, for a reason to have, a, have that value add for you. Were you looking all across the US, sticking to New York, going to Silicon Valley, oh, like LA? Like how did you kind of look at it from a ge- geographical perspective and flying all over the place? I'm curious about that, that too. Uh, so we actually did end up taking investment from New York, but given I think we've watched a little bit too much Silicon Valley and also the startup <laughs> success stories, I spent a good bit of time in San Francisco and Palo Alto. On, and on Sandtail Road, which is the sort of like venture capital known space. Uh, and actually yeah. a little bit in Los Angeles as well, since they have an emerging venture um, side as well as Boston. But we ended up taking money from a New York firm called Graycroft, founded by Alan Patrickoff. And actually it was Alan Patrickoff who led our round. That's amazing, especially yeah, your first your first investors. That's great, and and through that process, you mentioned how complicated and like year and a half of research and education. What was the team initially then? Because you, you clearly can't. This is something you can't build by yourself. What was the team initially uh, for the company too? So the team initially was my brother, person who was on the call when all of this started, and then <laughs> my other co-founder and our CTO uh, Jesse Doherty, who was a former full stack Google engineer. And there are no two better people I would go into business with. Why do you say that? I trust their judgment. I trust their decision making. I trust them to execute on everything that needs to get done. And you really need to surround yourself with people who can see the vision, execute, and then support the growth along the way. There's nothing more important. To that point, especially early on, how were you convincing, I know these are the people you started with, one's your brother, but how are you convincing people to to kind of join in on your mission to build to build this company? It was actually sort of the same way through going through venture funding is sort of sharing our vision, sharing what we were looking to accomplish, even though it was a new product, it's based on a lot of fundamentals that have been around for a long time. And sort of at the end of the day, everyone had the same idea of, this should have already existed. Why doesn't it exist? And we think we have the right structure to make it happen. 
That's awesome. And so you have this team in place. You you take six months to get the your first kind of funding. What were those next steps you took after that? So you get you get the funding committed. You have this team. What's the next steps you you took to start building Lex? Executing on the business plan. It's always great to have a North Star. We knew exactly what we were trying to accomplish. Of course, you're learning along the way since in many cases it's never been done before. So it's an iterative process, but sort of hard work, dedication, not letting anything get you down. You can you can be upset at certain times if things don't work out for like 20 seconds, but then you have to move on <laughs> to the next thing and just one foot in front of the other because it's not always a smooth ride. It absolutely isn't for any founder. And if they say it was, I would question that. It's you're doing something spectacular and you hope it works. And so you move forward to accomplish what you ultimately are trying to achieve. With that too, then in those kind of early days, I always love talking about that, especially as a starting point, you have, you have all this kind of built out, you know what you want to do. You have this vision for what this is going to become. Eventually you do need to have investors and people who are on the platform. So what was your strategy to acquire customers and users for, for Lex? So that's actually a really interesting question because we're building out a market, right? We're building out a brand new securities market where you need liquidity. You had people in the past who were just targeting accredited investors and figuring out how to do sort of direct to consumer. And we have given our model, it's really a financial infrastructure and technology play. While our product right now is commercial real estate, we are fundamentally a technology and fintech company where we we provide the pipes, the railings, and the ability to execute and create the product and have a liquid electronic uh, secondary market to trade those securities. So in that, to have liquidity, you need retail since retail pushes liquidity more than anything else. But at the same time, when you're dealing with tens of millions to hundreds of millions to even billions of dollars, you definitely have to play with both sides of the investor base. So while the goal was even in the first place, given personal desire to empower investors who had never had access and really had no idea how to access this type of asset, it was working with sort of all sides, figuring out which target demographics it worked best with. It was interesting going down the road, seeing you could be talking to the same group at one bank or the other bank and they may see it as a different product for a different client type and then working within those to refine both the retail segments and the sort of institutional channel partners and selling group members with their dialogue and their feedback of where they thought their customers would most appreciate and value the product. With that, I know you said you had the plan early on. How much did, as you're executing this this vision early on, how much did it veer off from what you, you thought or your assumptions about this market and building this company? So there were two things that caught us by surprise. One was the appetite from sort of traditional financial institutions and investor bases. Uh, we thought yeah. this would be more of a retail product coming out the gate and then building up into sort of your family office, high net worth, institutional investors. And so that was a complete surprise. And then even from the real estate ownership side, working with sort of like good commercial real estate sponsors, but not, I would say, not listed on the New York Stock Exchange and not the largest private equity firms in the world. And we've recently seen that, I would actually, I wish 
I have to caveat this. I wish COVID had never happened, but uh, COVID yeah. sort of put gasoline on the fire for us and yeah. made opened up the opportunity to work with some of the most institutional sponsors in the world. Um, so it was really interesting. Well, to that point then, with the COVID, since, since you brought it up, I mean, it's obviously affected so many people in uh, crazy different ways. Like when you knew, when you saw COVID happening and it's starting to take place, like, did you, did you expect what happened from a business perspective for you guys? Or like, what were you doing to prepare for that? So, well, I'll give two comments. One, I was hoping when we initially heard from it that we would be back in the office and life back to normal by June. Uh, I was <laughs> proven wrong. And <laughs> we always, it's always nice to think that your product is recession proof or can still provide value in times of volatility and uncertainty. It's another thing to have that tested um, in the market in real time. So we'd always imagine that this product could actually do very well during times of uncertainty and in downturns, but we didn't expect to test so quickly. <laughs> Being forced to test very quickly, yes. actually. <laughs> Matt, and with that, too, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's been quite the quite the journey for everyone, I'm sure. Uh, as you as you've grown, then, so as you've you've gone from the beginning, the kind of early early days of Lex to now, I mean, is that vision? I mean, the vision may be the same, but uh, what is kind of the executing wise right, right now? Like, what are you focused on in, in executing for for Lex right now? So right now, the systems are about to go live. Uh, so we just had a partnership with NASDAQ where they're providing us with the universal matching system for the alternative trading system, ATS, which has the same functionality as a national exchange um, from an execution and order entry standpoint and clearing the orders, making sure that everything works from a structuring perspective. But right now we're making sure that the system doesn't break go to market and our initial offerings are successful. And then I sort of like to go back to the econ 101, where first day you're sitting in class, you have a supply and demand curve. It's making sure that we scale supply and demand appropriately and don't get overzealous and overconfident <laughs> to make sure that we execute on our business plan appropriately. Well, today then, to that point, how are you kind of scaling supply and demand or how do you at least look at Look at that issue of, of, of doing it appropriately to not get over your skis, per se. Uh, caution, <laughs> caution um, <laughs> making sure that we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's. And it really, if anything, the last thing we would want are failed offerings, oversupply. And so it's truly onboarding correctly. It's sort of the same idea when you're testing out a new product, you sort of go into beta and then you scale up the user base and then sort of the, in this case, asset base of the offerings that are on the platform. So hopefully you don't run into a situation where there is a disconnect. And with that, to the point of like the offerings on the platform, I mean, how are you going about getting getting feedback from people who are using the platform, people you are working with? How do you go about getting that feedback to then adjust and uh, tweak as you need to? So it's actually interesting. It's different for both sides of the market, both with the issuers and the sponsors versus the customer base. But we, we actually go and ask for direct feedback on how they think the process is going, how the experience has been, and where there's room for improvement. I think that's 
also a very important thing to always take into account is to receive feedback and always look to grow. It's the same idea of you're always learning and you're always educating and you shouldn't be fearful to ask how you can improve, especially to your customer base, which is the most important since these are the people who are going to be referring other colleagues, individuals, friends, and the users of the product. So the best way to get feedback is to ask. Don't be scared to ask. With that then, getting feedback from a variety of people, I'm sure you're getting conflicting feedback in some ways. How do you prioritize which things you're going to pay attention to and execute on versus which things you're going to ignore? Because ultimately, you can't necessarily do everything. How do you go about that? It's a good question. It's uh, it's sort of the the old saying, take everything with a grain of salt. And so take the important details, distill it down, see if they're valid. Luckily, we haven't actually had that much feedback that would have any types of changes, which is nice. Um, I'm sure that'll change down the road as we continue to do more and more. But luckily, we haven't had to face that problem so much directly. And then also just be open to new ideas since everyone has a different perspective. And even though it may not be applicable in that specific circumstance, it can be valuable for projects down the road. So even though it may not be applicable to exactly what had happened in that instance, it may actually make you better with all the other actions you're taking down the line. Yeah. And, and with Lex being such a like innovative first mover in this, in this space and creating this space, really, I mean, have you seen any competition come up or arise since you've got started a few years ago? Not really. There are tertiary or I would guess somewhat they're in a similar lane. They're not exactly in the same lane as us. And so when in doubt, I mean, first mover advantage, we want to execute to the best of our abilities and take up as much market share as possible. But competition can be good. So if and when it comes, looking forward to it. <laughs> and and with that, I know your, your team is growing. You're hiring for a number of different roles. You can see in the website and everything as well. I mean, how are you looking at the hiring now as you've gone from that core team, which you mentioned you love the, the, the core team when you got started? How have you gone about building your team, building your culture as, as the company has grown? So those are two different questions. Building the team, I'm a big believer in hire slow and then not quite fire fast, but make sure that everyone has the support to do their job, have the necessary resources and that they have the ability to work together since it's amazing, even though we do a variety of different functions and have very different skill sets on the team, we really promote sort of full access to everyone. It doesn't matter what space you're in. It's sort of having availability and it really is sort of a collective since none of this could be accomplished without everyone on this team. So it's really looking for the best talent and the people who best share the vision. And in a startup, you're going to have to grind. And so you're, you look for grinders, you look for those 11 out of 10s where they can produce the most value and are working towards that similar goal. It's nice to have sort of alignment, especially on that one point. I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying that everyone should have the same thoughts and that we should all be on the same page. Actually, dissenting opinions is probably the most valuable because it makes you think differently than what you were going into a problem with and actually usually solves problems 
quite more easily than you would otherwise. Uh, but I don't know. It's we're trying to scale appropriately when we need to, not over hire, and just do do the hires that we need to do now, and then prepare for the hiring that will be necessary along the business roadmap as it comes. Right, and then the culture piece of it as well. You mentioned it's two separate things. Oh yeah. Well, I ended up merging a part of the culture, but really we're all working towards the same goal and it's not, especially in a startup, everyone wears multiple yeah. hats. It's, it's necessary because you're trying to do, and in some cases you're competing against groups that have almost infinite amount of capital who can hire all the people <laughs> in the world. We, we like yeah. to run lean. But it's really this idea of having people own their space, own their vertical, but have sort of transparency, openness, and the comfortability to come and talk to anyone if they need any type of feedback or request or even just to talk and hang out since, especially during COVID, it's been an isolating time. And so it's nice to know that your team members are there for you too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it is such a difficult, difficult time with COVID and trying to still have that connection with that too with your team. I mean, are you having, are you having like team happy hours? Are you having meetings every day? How do you handle that like cohesiveness and building that during COVID? So, we actually adopted team meetings with the entire team every single morning. It's a nice way to start off the day, and then we do breakout groups into the individual segments of the business. So you actually do have constant contact with everyone and you are seeing a face and it's nice to have some type of human interaction as many of us are just cooped up uh, in our respective locations. So it's nice to, I find it personally beneficial. It's actually one of the bright points of my day. And with that too, then looking back, I mean, that's, that's one kind of thing that popped up as you've as you've grown Lex since you know around 2017, but in the last three years, I mean, what have been maybe some of the biggest challenges? Because you look at when you started, you have this idea for this company that's really going to be a game changer. It's a whole new asset class, as you're saying. Like as you've gone about building this, what has been kind of the biggest challenges along the way? Hmm. I would say that's a it's a good question. I'm not sure I've ever put a lot of thought into what has been the largest challenge since there are challenges you face every single day and sometimes multiple times a day. But I think it's doing right by all parties involved and then making sure that when problems do come up, since they always will, the team as a collective are tackling it together. It doesn't fall on any one person's shoulders. It's a group collective effort to figure out how to create a solution since sometimes it's not always obvious. But when building new product, by coming together, it makes it so much easier to accomplish your goals and then solve the problems because it really comes from sort of spur of the moment conversations where you're getting sort of people who aren't ingrained in sort of that specific problem sector uh, day in and day out. Getting third party opinions is the best part of sort of having a team. It's being able to have dialogue, get feedback, and Many minds are much stronger than one mind alone. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, Drew. And and looking forward here with with Lex, what is kind of the the grand vision for for the company? 
We're looking to be the trading platform and the infrastructure to provide liquidity across equity and real estate initially, and then potentially debt, other asset classes, and really being a venue that can provide value to other illiquid alternatives potentially down the line. Um, it's not like we have a certain goal. And if we reach that goal, we're going to say, okay, we're done. We're good. <laughs> it's always, it's a growing experience, right? Because as you can as you continue to go down that path, um, you see new opportunities as well in ways to make the business better and also to create more value. Yeah. And I want to dig into kind of your story a little bit more as an entrepreneur, because I think it's always interesting, to, like the person behind these companies, especially to even think about what you're doing and trying to do something so kind of innovative and game changing in the space. For you, I mean, did you always kind of think you'd be an entrepreneur? Or is, this a, is this a surprise if someone asked you 10 years ago, like, this is what you'd be doing? Would, would you, that surprise you? I'm curious about that. Uh, personally, if I had to look back, well, I made the I made the decisions I did make, so that may itself. <laughs> but if you had to ask me if I thought that I was going to have left my job and pursued this, um, no, not at this point in time. I thought maybe a little bit later I would, but given the opportunity that I saw, I couldn't resist. It's sort of like, yeah, it was the light bulb moment. It's just like I think I know what I have to do. And what I want to do. Yeah. And it's such an interesting route for someone to take because there's so much uncertainty there. I mean, it's very, it's so difficult to build any business uh, and in this type of business as well, and like a whole new, whole new category, essentially. Uh, was there, I'd be curious about, was there any doubt, just confident that you can make it happen? Like, I'm curious in your mindset around that, because I know talking to other people, you know, some people don't start companies because they're maybe too afraid or they don't have the right idea, whatever it is for you, though. Like, how did you get kind of past that to be like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing? Well, now hindsight is 2020. I think in part, ignorance is bliss in some respect. <laughs> yeah. So if I had known everything it would take, I might have thought a little bit more. Um, but I have no regret with the actions that I did take. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Along the way, Drew, what have been some of the most helpful resources? I'm always curious about books specifically, but whether it be uh, books, podcasts, certain people, what's been the most kind of helpful uh, for you along your journey so far here building Lex? So I would say learning from people who have done it before gives you some of the best insights. And it's one thing to read a book and hear the story on paper, but the one thing that I always missed when going and reading those books is you don't get to ask questions because there are always yeah. questions that come up since it's really a dialogue. You always have to be questioning and you always have to be exploring. So personally, that was my take, but I know it's not for everyone. Um, but I think some of the best learning experience actually came from having those direct dialogues with people who have grown and scale and started startups. And it really is, I wouldn't say a cult. It it's more like you understand that people have gone through the same things that you're going through and they have been down these paths before. And it's good not to make the same mistakes as others. You can learn from others' experiences and not have to repeat them yourselves. Yeah. And Drew, how have you gone about building that, that network to surround yourself with those people to be able to have those conversations? 
you have to network and meet a lot of people and be open to feedback, even when you don't always want to be open to feedback. And I think most people don't know to utilize the resources in some cases. It's not for, this isn't for everyone, but people are always willing to help fundamentally. Not everyone, but I would say 95.999, so almost 96%, (laughs) where it really is, and it's a lot easier to ask for advice and for help than it is to ask for capital, since that's sort of a personal physical ask where you're asking for some monetary value. So even though a person is not giving you money or it's just not the right investment for them, they're usually open to giving you their insights and their experiences, which is something that I don't think people use enough, truly. Yeah. And there's so many, when you put it, when you put yourself out there and kind of put out what you're trying to do, I, yeah, to your point, I think most people are trying to help and will, will be helpful. And I've noticed that, you know, with doing this podcast and other things, like so many people, if you just ask <laughs> and people can say no and they may ignore you, whatever, but like a lot of people will say yes and, and offer to help you, especially if you're really trying to do something interesting and uh, passionate about it as well. I'm sure that that's what's happened uh, for, for you. And then like also looking at other entrepreneurs I've talked to, it's the same type of thing. Like lots of people have been helpful for them and you never get that if you don't ask, if you don't try to do things in the first place. Yeah. For you, Drew, as you kind of have gone through uh, building this company, obviously like how at this point, are you kind of managing your time day to day, figuring out what to work on, prioritizing? Walk me through like what a day, a day in the life of Drew. It's maybe different in quarantine, but I'm curious about that as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a day in, yeah. Given quarantine, it seems like the work days have expanded to seven days a week. That there somehow seem to be more than 24 hours in a day given all the work. <laughs> but. I live and die by my calendar. That's the first and foremost. Um, If it's not in the calendar, I'm absolutely going to miss it. So my calendar is my most sought after application other than uh, my email and then also messages since that's what keeps me on track and sort of keeps me aligned with my time management. And also, I think an important thing that is sort of sometimes overlooked is also, and I've run into it myself, where working become all consuming, but it is also very important to have sort of personal time to reset. Um, and you always want to keep on moving and the energy's high, but it is really, really, really important for self-care, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and you're able to better perform when you do take some time off. Um, it's not, not saying you take a week vacation. It's more just centering yourself before you go through every single day and also enjoying the other parts of life since work is a large aspect of life it's not the only aspect so that's what i try and do to have the best work-life balance and to also figure out what are your priorities in the moment um and then sort of have that as your north personal star to try and accomplish everything that you're that's on the plate for you then, Drew, like what are some of those things in terms of kind of stepping away and having that balance? I know you mentioned not necessarily not necessarily taking a week off, but for, for you then, what are some of those activities or things that you do? Everyone has kind of something different, but I am curious as every startup founder has a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, but how do you kind of recharge from work? Uh, first and foremost, I did buy a Peloton when quarantine happened. So nice. I've, I've been <laughs> able to not completely gain the COVID pounds 
which has been quite beneficial. Physical exercise always clears the mind. I also have adopted meditation. I love reading. I love actually learning and talking with other founders and trying to help them since even though it's in the world, it's not the specific world. And also just making sure you get a good night's rest, which I'm not sure everyone does. I know I didn't sometimes, (laughs) but it is good to get solid sleep since it really is just imagine you're an athlete and you have to come out to perform time and time again it's training yeah and i actually heard like lebron i think he sleeps like 10 hours a night like you know at the highest level of these athletes whether it be olympic athletes whether it be professional athletes like yeah they're getting that much sleep so think about it from from our perspective as founders like how much you should get and how how beneficial that can be to help you i'm i'm definitely guilty of not getting enough many times but it made a clear effort to to do more on the sleep side of things so you just notice a clear difference in terms of how you feel uh, and how you can operate with that and you had mentioned reading some books as well any books personal or business that you'd suggest to others oh Well, I mean, when I first started, of course, I mean, I started with the hard thing about hard things. Um, There's sort of just some like, and also zero to one. It's, uh, there are so many books out there. I love reading about history since history does repeat itself. And it's interesting how different aspects of the business also come into play. But I, I also do a lot of audiobooks since it's sort of my way of relaxing. But sort of anything that can sort of help you from a business perspective and then even from a historical perspective it's nice to see how other the titans of industry and other historical figures whether it be in politics or in world events have tackled them since it's also applicable in life and at the same time you're learning about something and able to take your mind and relax yeah, and there are so many great like biographies out there. I mean, like you said, Titans, Titans of Industry. I, I'm reading Tycoons, which is about four different uh, kind of just mega, mega uh, businessmen. And then also I just finished the John D. Rockefeller audiobook, which is like 30 hours long, which is insane. But um, it's really fascinating to hear how it goes about things. And obviously there's a lot of bad, but there's a lot of good as well. And it just can be such a, a life hack just, well, to, just to hear about some of those things. Yeah, I may have to add one more to uh, your list, which is uh, Barbarians at the Gate. Oh, okay. Big fan. And then it just depends on what you're interested in. Happy to give you off podcast uh, a <laughs> litany of uh, sort of what I've read and what I've really enjoyed. Oh, perfect. Because I do, I mean, I have probably 80-ish audiobooks in Audible, plus obviously a huge... Like a huge stack of books around my room, around my apartment. And it's just like, there's so many good books to, to dig into. And I, I love it. And, you know, it's a mix of having something where you're, you're reading and kind of unwinding and then you're, then you're executing and doing things that you learn, uh, incorporating that in your, in your day to day. And it's just kind of a, a cycle there as well. And I just, something I don't really talk about with founders that much, but I always talk about like the challenges and struggles because there, there are many of those, but for you, what have been the most enjoyable parts of being an entrepreneur the last number of years? Really good question. There's a there's a lot of things that I've been really grateful and that I've really enjoyed. Um, one is sort of waking up every single morning energized, feeling sort of pumped up to tackle the next step, process, goal, problem. And not everything's a problem, but if you sort of take it where it's like you're you're looking to solve an equation, and there's always a new equation to be solved every single day, and so. 
it really is that ability to be pushing forward, creating something new, being active and engaged with the team and working towards a common goal that's much greater than yourself. I mean, this is what we're doing would not be possible without everyone involved. Um, both, I mean, every single employee, all of our advisors, investors, and everyone we also talk and work with because without, I mean, it really goes down to the quote, it takes a village and without everyone involved, um, we wouldn't be successful and we wouldn't be where we are. So I'm just also, I wake up eternally grateful uh, going into every day that we have this opportunity. And I really enjoy working with everyone on our team. Yeah. And, and Drew, as you kind of look back at your journey, obviously there's different entrepreneurs listening, aspiring entrepreneurs listening. Um, I always kind of just like to ask, is there anything else you, you'd say to either aspiring entrepreneur or an entrepreneur based on kind of your journey with, with Lex and experience so far building a company, any, any sort of advice or, or even just takeaway that you would like to share with the audience? Yeah, it's something I probably learned more along the way and we sort of touched on it, but it's always okay. And actually, I think most people appreciate it when you ask for help, ask for guidance, ask for advice. And you have to remember other entrepreneurs and other people in the space, they're doing it because they love it. And so they love to talk about and also figure out other problems, um, either when it's in their exact vertical or sort of tangential to the vertical. It's really be okay and open to dialogue and conversation and just reach out. I know I've enjoyed working with a lot of other startup founders, just even just back and forth banter where you're just talking about situations and have relatable stories or are able to give feedback advice. And it produces wonders, both that are fundamental and physical, but also you never know where that also leads you. And sometimes they'll be able to also introduce you to a group that you've always wanted to talk to and you never had an in with. Um, you just never know where it's going to go, but just feel free to be open and ask for help and enjoy the conversations since it's, it's not about the end goal. It's about the journey. And with that, with me, you mentioned groups, I just have to ask, is there, has there been any particular like entrepreneur groups or startup groups or anything that you've been a part of uh, along this way? Or is just kind of like an organic, just kind of, as you meet people reaching out that sort of way? Uh, we were a part of the, uh, one of NYU's, um, sort of startup incubators, which was extremely helpful. And I'm very grateful for the entire team there. And then you just meet friends of friends. And that's how a lot of these just occur, where they weren't personal direct connections, but they end up becoming your good friends and people you talk to on a sort of normal basis, since they know exactly what you're going through. And actually, one example was I had accidentally been invited to a dinner party with the former CEO of Acorns and also so the the co-founder and CEO, uh, Jeff, and he actually ended up being an investor later on. But (laughs) it, it, I mean, you never know where this is going to go. It really is. You have no idea, but that's what makes it fun. (laughs) Hold on. Accidentally invited. What what do you mean? What do you mean by that, Drew? Uh, I was supposed to meet a friend. And then the friend last minute was called me up, said, hey, going to a dinner party. Here's the address. And so I was just expecting to grab coffee, 
uh, and show up to a dinner party unannounced. Didn't know anyone there, but the one friend who had been invited probably 10 minutes before my invite came and <laughs> you run with it. Amazing. You might as well. What's the worst that will happen? Exactly. In that situation? Exactly. So just embrace embrace change embrace opportunities and when opportunities present yourself dive dive straight in just have fun absolutely and drew i'm I'm excited for all your building with lex and it's really gonna be interesting to see the kind of evolution as as things continue on for for you and the team which is which is growing i know it's like i said you're hiring and uh more is happening where can people go to learn more about lex and all your building so uh ios app store lex commercial real estate securities market. We have an app there. You can go to lex-markets.com, also lexmarkets.com, auto forwards to that one as well. You can also feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or to email us directly from our website. There's an email that goes to everyone. So if you don't know who exactly you want to talk to, um, you can touch base with us there. And then if uh, they want to chat directly with me, my email is drew at lex-markets.com. I always love talking to entrepreneurs and founders. Great. And I, I will be sure to link all of that up in the show notes as well. Just go grind.com slash podcast to have all those links to everything mentioned as well as things mentioned in the episode. Drew, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, man. No, it was my absolute pleasure. And Justin, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.